Amen. Genesis chapter 25. <clears throat> Starting at verse 21. I want to read a chunk of this. Verse 21 says, And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? In other words, Lord, what's going on? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. Two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob, which means heel grabber or a supplanter, has to do with being a deceiver or a con man, we might say. And Isaac was three score years old. Isaac was 60 when Rebekah had the twins. <clears throat> and the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sod pottage, which basically means he was making a, a soup or a stew, and you read on, it's out of, made out of lentils. And Esau came from the field, and he was faint. He was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day, and he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage or stew of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now with the help of the Lord this morning, I'm going to teach for a little while something that I have taught before, but I feel to teach again. The birthright and the blessing. The birthright and the blessing. At this point, in history, in the family story of Abraham and Isaac. Isaac, as we just read, is 60 years old when his twin sons are born, Esau and Jacob. You look at a few chapters around this and you can do the math. You can find out that Abraham at this point was 160 years of age. Abraham would finally pass away at 175 years of age. He would definitely qualify for seniors ministry, Sister Sheila, at 175. But uh, what this reveals to us is that the twins, Jacob and Esau, knew their grandfather for the first 15 years of their life. They knew Abraham up until the middle of their teens. And in a time in history when, as far as we know, traditions, family history, stories were passed on through the practice of storytelling. Uh, they didn't have photo albums that we're aware of or family videos. The boys had no doubt spent many an evening listening to the grand, their grandfather tell the stories of his life, which would become their legacy. 
and the journey that God had taken him on and the promises that God had given him and the covenant that God had made with Abraham and his descendants. And as the boys grew from just little kids into adolescence, they would have clearly understood that they were the current generation to whom that covenant was to be passed on to at some point. Abraham, if you read around this chapter, if you're not familiar with it, I would encourage you to do so. But Abraham had already sent one son, Ishmael, away. He'd sent him away to separate him from Isaac so that there was a distance between them. And if you you read around again, you'll find that after Abraham's wife Sarah died, he remarried and he had other sons. And those sons he also sent away to live in different regions around about. It was very clear in the mind of Abraham that as God had said, Isaac was the child of promise. He was the one that the covenant was to be with. He was the one that the covenant was not only to be with, but its fulfillment was to continue through. And so Isaac was the one, as God had made promise to Abraham, through whom at some point would come a nation, and then eventually through that nation, a Savior, a Messiah, the Savior of the world. Amen. And I have no doubt, it is, it is I would suggest, unimaginable that Abraham, along with Isaac, would not have communicated the importance of this legacy to Esau and Jacob. Those boys would have grown up hearing about the covenant that God had made again and again, to the point that possibly, like most children, they probably thought, not this story again. How many times is granddad going to tell us this story? And then dad tells us again. And they, that, that the importance and the significance of that component of their legacy would have been, possibly we could go as far as they hammered home to them. They heard it repeatedly and over and over. And so we read in our text that Rebecca was barren. She couldn't have kids. And the Lord opened her womb. The twins, the brothers, I mean, it's, it's not an unusual thing for brothers to, to disagree, to squabble, to even fight. Any, if we know we've got any brothers in the building, Brother Moses and Brother Fiston are looking at the floor, so we'll assume they're guilty. But it's not uncommon for brothers to have a little bit of conflict as they grow up. Jacob and Esau were struggling with each other before they'd even been born. It was a very unusual situation, and, and the Lord revealed to Rebecca prophetically of that there was a a future that these boys had now I want to pause for two seconds to explain that it was God's foreknowledge of what those young men would become He, he did not simply say well I'm sorry Esau but you get the bad job but rather because he's God and he knew what would happen he could speak to Rebecca in the present prophetically about the actions that her sons would take and the paths that they would go on so Sometimes you read things like that and you think, well, Esau just, he got the short straw. You know, Jacob got the better deal and Esau got the short straw. But God was able to speak about those things that were not as though they were. And so he was not determining their destiny, but rather he knew already what their destiny was going to be. He did not take away choice. It's important we understand that. This is not in my notes, but it's important we understand that because there is a false doctrine that gets around that says that you are predestined to go to heaven or hell. That your will, that your power of choice is not involved in the process. But basically when the numbers were picked, you know, when you're at school and they, they went around and numbered everybody, 
It's at odd numbers on this side and even numbers on that side. There is this, this doctrine that suggests that that's how it works with eternity. But that is not scripturally accurate. What is predestined or what is determined ahead of time is that God will have a church, that he will have a bride, that there will be a people with him in heaven. But the power of choice is given to each and every one of us to decide, am I going to be there? Scripture says, I think it's Acts chapter 10 verse 34, that their God is no respecter of persons and that he has given us all free will. That's why the Gospels talk to us and use expressions like whosoever will. If any man thirst, not just if any of the even numbers thirst, your odd numbers unlucky for you, but if any man thirst and whosoever will, let him come unto me and drink. So we need to understand that when we read about Esau and Jacob, it wasn't that God had just decided. It's the same with Judas. Judas's actions were prophesied about way back in the book of Psalms. But Judas made his own choices. Judas, you know, we, I've often said this, but we think of Judas and we th- he's the bad guy. You know, we imagine these 12 disciples, all these good-looking men, but Judas, he's the Weasley-looking guy with the pointy black beard and the mean-looking eyes. There was nothing about Judas that made him stand out against any of the rest of them. In fact, he was trusted. He was anointed by the Lord to go and pray for the sick and to cast out demons and do all those things the others did as well. But something got into Judas's heart and he made choices. And because God knows everything from Psalms, he could say that's the choice he's going to make. He did not make the choice for him. If I've added confusion rather than clarity, come and see me afterwards and I'll try to sort that out amen but these two boys jacob and esau are polar opposites one's an outdoor man one's a man of staying home and it is in the birth and the following story that we read in our text in in chapter 25 of of genesis that we are introduced for the very first time in scripture to the concept of birthright this, this word this, in this chapter here is the first time that word is used. And when you look into the scripture, and as best I can understand, the idea of the birthright includes such things as becoming the head of the family. They would be the next patriarch. That word has a whole different application in today's world, but it really just means the father figure. They would receive a double portion of the inheritance. The family name and the responsibility of that name would be passed to them. They would be the priest of the family, or in other words, they had the spiritual responsibility for the family at large. There was a place in the lineage that would see the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, that one would come that would bruise the serpent's head. And the person that received the birthright, particularly in this family group, was also responsible to keep the covenant that God had given to Abraham. But we read that Esau despised his birthright. That means that he considered it to be of little value. It wasn't important to him. And Jacob, as his name suggested, cunningly and deceitfully persuaded his brother to sell that birthright for what we would consider something of almost no value at all. I don't mind lentils, but I wouldn't give you anything of great value for a bowl of lentil soup or stew. You see, it would seem when you look at Scripture that the birthright was transferable although the pattern was that the firstborn son would receive the birthright we see that 
Esau and Jacob were able to exchange that birthright. You read on at the end of Genesis, you'll find that when Jacob is old and nearly dying, that when he prophesies over his sons and blesses his sons, that his oldest son doesn't get everything. Rather, the priesthood goes to Levi, the the lineage of royalty goes to Judah, and Joseph ends up getting the double portion. And you can, you can have a look into why that happens if you want to later on. You, you read of how Joseph brings his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to his father when his dad's getting ready to pass from this life and his dad's eyesight's not too good. And Joseph guides his two boys to his dad and he deliberately guides the older son towards his father's right hand. So it would have been his left towards his father's right so that his father could place his right hand on that son to bless him as the firstborn. And Jacob does a swifty and crosses his hands and lays his right hand on the younger son and his left hand on the older son. And the Bible says that Joseph's almost irritated. He's like, no, no, Dad, pay attention. You, you know, you, 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 you've messed up here. But Jacob says, I know what I'm doing. So there, there does seem, although the, the understood pattern was that the firstborn received the double portion and the birthright, there were times that it was exchanged, particularly in accordance with the will of God. You go on as one last example. You see in in David, David had a whole bunch of sons and Amnon was his firstborn son. But Solomon took the throne in David's place. So the firstborn was significant in the sight of God. And I want to read a few verses just to underline that. In Exodus 13 and 2, the Lord said, Sanctify or set apart unto me all the firstborn. Whatsoever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast or man or of animal, it is mine. When you get to the New Testament, it speaks of Jesus Christ as the firstborn. Romans 8 and 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Colossians 1 and 15, speaking of Jesus, says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? A couple of verses later in Colossians 1 and 18, it says, And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have the preeminence in other words he would come before everything else so jesus is the first begotten or we would understand that phrase better as firstborn in several senses or several fashions firstly he is the first and only begotten son of god in that he was conceived by the holy ghost secondly The plan of the incarnation of God coming in flesh existed in the mind of God before anything else was created. So he's first in that sense. In his humanity, Jesus is the first person to conquer sin. And so he is the firstborn of the spiritual family of God. And also in his humanity, Jesus is the first person to conquer death. So he is the first fruits of the resurrection, or as the scripture told us, the first begotten from the dead. Jesus is the head of all creation and the head of the church. So he is the firstborn in the sense of having preeminence and power over all things, just as the eldest brother traditionally had preeminence amongst his brethren. Those first four points refer to Jesus being first in order, whereas the fifth one, his preeminence, refers to being first in power and in greatness. The Bible says that there is none beside him. Amen. Amen. So getting back to our narrative from Genesis. In chapter 26, and I'll pick some verses out for the sake of time, 
But in chapter 26, the Lord reaffirms the covenant with Isaac now that Abraham has passed away. At the end of chapter 26, in a, in a couple of verses that almost don't seem that important in the whole story, we are given a glimpse into the heart and the spirit of Esau. Genesis 26, and 34 and 35, it says, And Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Bashamath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And verse 35 says, Which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. Those marriages may have had some political benefits for Esau in the region possibly, but they were not pleasing to his parents. Isaac and Rebekah had a particular direction they wanted their son's lives to go. No doubt it included the serving of God and the fulfillment of the promises that God had made. But Esau, it seems, deliberately chose to disregard that and to go the way that he wanted to go. And then we come to Genesis chapter 27. Now, when you read Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament where people lived a lot longer than we live, from one chapter to the next, a whole lot of time can take place. We go, okay, there's two verses there, therefore there's about five minutes. But if Isaac was 60 when his sons were born and Abraham died at 175, the boys were about 15 years old. We already established that. I'm just clearing my brain here in case you're wondering where I'm going. The boys were 15 when their grandfather died. And it seems some commentators suggest, and even the Jewish tradition, is that this selling of the birthright happened very shortly after Abraham died in the near future. But then when we get to chapter 27, most commentaries suggest that at this point, Isaac's about 137 years old. So there's a whole lot of time that's gone between chapter 25 and chapter 27. So just keep that in your mind when you read that. It's not like on the next day. There's decades possibly of time that's taken place. And so when we get to chapter 27, and we're going to read the first four verses, then I'm just going to paraphrase the rest of the story. Some of you know it really well. Verse 1 says, It came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold, now I am old, and I know not the day of my death. As a side note, he lived for about another 30, 40 years. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver, and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison, hunt some deer, and make me savory meat such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. So... Chapter, the chapter we started in, chapter 25, introduced to us the concept of the birthright. This chapter introduces to us the idea of a blessing being passed from generation to generation as well, some sort of a generational transfer. And although the blessing is tied together in a sense with the birthright, there is a difference between the two. The blessing particularly speaks about receiving or being the recipient of the goodness of God. It's about being blessed, getting good stuff, being treated well, having benefits, having good conditions. And when you read on from, chap from verse 4 of this chapter, you'll find that after this conversation takes place, Rebecca 
just happens to be eavesdropping. That's all I'm going to say. And overhears the conversation between Isaac and Esau. Rebecca has had in her heart for many, many years by this point a prophecy that the elder son would serve the younger. Now, I don't know if the boys knew about that prophecy. I don't know if it was something they talked about at the family dinner table or whether they decided that probably wasn't a good thing to tell the kids while they were growing up. Could you imagine if you were the younger brother, you spent your whole life telling your older brother, hey, remember what mum said, you're going to serve me. There'd have been a lot of disputes going on. So whether or not they knew, I don't know, but Rebecca had this in her heart. And so as Esau, he's all excited, he's going out to get to hunt, which he loved to hunt anyway, so that wasn't a big deal for him. He knows that his dad is going to give him the blessing. Rebecca calls Jacob, basically updates him with what's happening and says, right, this is what we're going to do. You're going to go out to the flock. You're going to get me a, a kid, a baby goat. You're going to bring it in here. And because she was a better cook than Esau, and she knew how to add the secret herbs and spices that would make it taste just like the venison that Esau was going to cook. Isaac couldn't see too good anyway, so he was trusting his taste buds. Jacob becomes afraid. He says, but uh, you know, my dad might be going blind, but he can tell the difference. Number one, I'm smooth. My brother's hairy. And so Rebecca in her scheming, so we can sort of see where Jacob gets it from, takes the skins of this baby goat and puts them on Jacob's hands and on his arms and puts... Esau's clothes on him which were probably a little bit more uh, odorful having spent a lot of time out in the bush and and says this is what we're going to do and so he goes in and 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 he says here I am dad and and his dad says well that was quick how did you catch the venison so he said the Lord helped me so there's the first lie tick and then you know he says well you 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 sound like Jacob you don't sound like Esau it doesn't seem like Jacob could impersonate his brother's voice very well and he says you know come close so i can touch you and i can you know my eyes aren't too good and so we pick it up in chapter 27 and verse 27 and it says and he came near so this is jacob coming near to his father and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his raiment or his clothes and blessed him and said see the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the lord has blessed must have been pretty rough for Jacob that his father was so waxing lyrical about his brother and he's like what about me you know but then there is a blessing that's pronounced in verse 28 he said therefore God give thee the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth plenty of corn and wine let people serve thee nations bow down to thee be lord over thy brethren let thy mother's sons bow down to thee cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesses thee. Who wouldn't like to have that declared over them? Particularly in the biblical context when it was prophetic. It wasn't just dad looking after his kids. There was powerful prophecies that were happening in those blessings. And so these are the, the blessing is pronounced on Jacob. And if you read the rest of the chapter there, you'll find that it's almost as Jacob is leaving. I was going to say the room, but I think it was the tent. Almost as Jacob is leaving, Esau comes in. And he says, here I am, Dad. I'm ready to be blessed. And Isaac is confused. And he said, who are you? And he's like, I'm your firstborn son. I'm, I'm Esau. And he's like, well, who did I just bless? And they have a conversation and they work out that they've both been conned. 
because Jacob's a con man, that's what he does. And even though Jacob has acquired it by being deceitful, Isaac recognizes that he cannot reverse the blessing. He, he can't say, well, I'm going to take it back because he tricked me. He, the blessing has been pronounced. It's been declared. And even though there was some deceitfulness and lying going on, God honored the blessing that Isaac gave to Jacob. Esau somewhat understandably is grieved and furious. You see, Esau wanted the blessing. The birthright didn't keep him awake at night. But the blessing, he wanted the good stuff. Because when you read in, in verse 36 of chapter 27, Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted or deceived me these two times. He took away the birthright, and now he's taken away my blessing. And then he says to his dad, is there, is there another blessing there? Can you, can you say something else? Can you somehow bestow some of the good stuff upon me? And you see, there is, there is a religious spirit in the world today that is very interested in the blessings of God, but not so much the birthright. They want the blessings of God. There's a lot of places you can go where all you're going to hear is about how awesome God thinks you are and how much he wants you to live like a king's child. He wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and rich, and maybe wise, that's secondary. There's a lot of that mindset about, I want God to bless me. But the birthright, the birthright brought the recipient into a bloodline, not the other way around. When you were given the birthright, you were brought into a bloodline, and before Esau despised his birthright. He was in the bloodline. It was meant to say, at least in men's understanding, Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But he despised his birthright. Jacob was not naturally positioned to be in that bloodline, but God installed him in the succession of generations from Abraham and Isaac, his father and his grandfather. And he became a part of something greater than just the blessing of God. He entered into a covenant relationship which played a part in him seeing a nation come into existence and a Messiah be born that would be so significant that he still takes away your sin and my sin today. That's the power of the birthright. And Jacob became responsible for keeping the covenant with God. He became responsible for walking with God. He became responsible for listening to and obeying God. He became responsible for making sure that the tokens, or we might say the actions, the, the emblems of the covenant, the things that were necessary to seal the covenant were kept. And if you're not familiar with this, this might seem a bit strange, but in Genesis chapter, 20, chapter 17, sorry, God introduced as a part of his covenant arrangement with Abraham, the practice of circumcision of male children. And we can, that's a whole other lesson, but the, it was important enough to God that if they did not do it, the covenant was broken. The promises were taken off the table. Everything that God had said he would do, he would not do because they had not done the things that he requested of them. And we know that that was something that was kept very strictly and very religiously by the nation of Israel. But when we get to the New Testament church, 
to you and I today in Colossians chapter 2 and verses 11 and 12. It says, In whom, speaking about Jesus, also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. It's not a physical procedure anymore. It's a spiritual procedure in that we put off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. How does that happen? We are buried with him in baptism wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. If you know anything about the Old Testament, about Jewish culture, on the eighth day when a male child was circumcised, he was officially given his family name. It was on that day as a part of that procedure that he was named officially. In the New Testament, in the spiritual parallel, when you are baptized, you are baptized in Jesus' name. You take on the spiritual family name. That's why being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is not enough. There's no family name there. There's no, nothing that identifies you with anybody. But when you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, as they were in the book of Acts, you become a part of a family. You are identified by a name. It matters to God. If the tokens mattered with Abraham, they matter in the New Testament church as well. Amen. Because what happens to us when we are born again of water and spirit If you don't know what that means, that means we're baptized in Jesus' name and we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We become qualified to receive the birthright. In a spiritual sense, we are included in a bloodline. Jacob and his descendants naturally looked forward to a Messiah. We don't because Jesus has already come. What happens for us is that we spiritually look back to a Messiah. And through his sacrifice, we are connected to that spiritual bloodline. Amen. Jesus was a part of the natural fulfillment of the birthright that Jacob had. But the cross makes it possible for you and I to be his sons and daughters. And as the scripture tells us, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We need to be in the bloodline. It does not matter what your last name is in this life. It doesn't matter what family you've come from. There's only one name that God's looking for. There's only one name that catches God's attention. That's do we have that name that is the only name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. We've got to have the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to say it as clearly as I can. If you don't have the name, you're not in the covenant. You don't have the birthright. You don't have that identifying statement about who you belong to. Hallelujah. We've got to have the bloodline. We see this example again in the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua. Joshua leads the Israelites across the flooded Jordan River miraculously in their first major battle. It's the city of Jericho. It was a fortress. had incredible walls, and you can study how... Tradition says that they could ride chariots around the top of those walls. I wasn't there. I can't tell you. But they locked that city up. Why did they lock it up? Because word had reached Jericho that God was with his people and that any enemy that came against Israel, God just swept them out of the way and gave them victory. And so fear had gripped the hearts of Jericho and that city was just shut up tight like a drum. But Joshua sent some spies into Jericho 
And while they were in there just spying out that city, there was a woman whose name was Rahab. And she hid those spies in her house when the soldiers or the guards were searching the city, looking to see if there were spies there. And she hid them there and she said to them, I want to make an agreement with you. And I'm paraphrasing this. She said, we've heard about your God. That's what she said. We know that nobody can stand before him. And she said, when you come and when you take this city, she said, protect me, preserve me and my family. And they made a deal. The deal was that whoever was in her house when they came, they had to be in the house. And that's a whole other lesson. But there was a scarlet cord, a red rope that had to be hung out of the window. And they said, if that's there when we come, you'll be safe. And there's, there's so much that is symbolic about that scarlet cord represents the bloodline because what if you if you know much i could get off on this on a real tangent but when joshua came and you know the story of how they marched around that city in silence and everybody in the city's thinking what in the world you can imagine the tension was palpable inside that city what's going on they're not doing anything they're just walking around what's happening and finally we know miraculously god brought the walls down when they shouted in victory and in obedience But Rahab's family was preserved. Why? Because she kept the covenant. She kept the arrangement that she was given. She kept the promise. But it doesn't stop there because Rahab, who was not even a descendant of Jacob, marries a young man by the name of Salmon, or Salmon, depending on how you want to pronounce his name. And Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5 records Rahab by name as being in the physical bloodline of Jesus Christ. She is one of only a couple of ladies who are named. It's usually the men. Sorry about that. I didn't write it. But she is one of only a couple of ladies that are recorded in the natural lineage of Jesus Christ. She kept a covenant. She got into a bloodline. Amen. And when you, we see, we need to understand something. This is not popular in Christianity. But you can be blessed by association. God has always blessed nations that were good to Israel. Look at history. Countries that were favorable towards Israel, God blessed those countries. God blessed Ishmael. God even gave Esau. He received a blessing. I know I've heard stories of business people who understand that if they will pay their tithes, God will bless their business. They're not Christians. They don't even want to serve the Lord, but they know there's a way to be blessed. And so God will bless them because he honors his word. I know that employers who are kind to God's people, God blesses. I can testify of my own experiences in that regard. Even Rebecca's family, if you wind the story back to Genesis chapter 24, when Abraham's getting old and he says, you know, I need a a wife for my son Isaac. He sends his servant to go back to the country where they come from and he, he finds the Lord guides him and he finds Rebecca and her family. And he goes in and he tells the story about Abraham. The scripture says that he gives gifts to the whole family. He brings gold and precious things. He says, it's gold for you and gold for you. But only Rebecca goes back and becomes a part of the bloodline. You can be blessed by association. Who doesn't like the blessings of the Lord? I like the blessings of the Lord. Uh, you know, if the Lord wants to bless me, I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus. And if we're going to be biblical, if he blesses you, I should also say thank you, Jesus. We need to be able to rejoice when God blesses somebody else. 
That's a biblical principle. The human principle is what about me? <laughs> but the biblical principle is we should be able to rejoice when God blesses somebody else. There were gifts given. There was blessing that came, but Rebecca became the bride of the promised son. Amen, which is symbolic of Jesus and the church. But you cannot have the birthright by association. You can have the blessing by association, but you cannot have the birthright. There was no allocated place for Ishmael in the promised land. If you open your Bibles and go to the very back, not now, but maybe later, and you look at some of you, you might have maps in the backs of your Bibles, and if you do, there's usually one that shows Israel with the areas where each tribe had their land. You won't find a place for Esau there. You won't find a place for Esau. We don't know anything as far as I can see about Esau's death or his burial. But Jacob was buried with, with his father Isaac and with his grandfather Abraham. I got to thinking about that while I was preparing this message. When Jesus comes back and the dead in Christ shall rise first, that cave's going to be pretty amazing. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob all coming back in that cave together. That's going to be some place to see the resurrection take place. That's just a side thought. Amen. Esau's name was not changed by God, but Jacob's name was changed to Israel. That's the power. Think about that. You know, if you're familiar with the Shema, the Shema is probably the most important commandment and prayer for Israel and its hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That was Jacob's name. For his descendants, the most important thing they prayed twice a day was, Hear, O Israel. That was their nation's name, but it was also their patriarch's name because God changed his name when he brought him into the bloodline and into the birthright. Amen. Amen. I love to see God bless people. I love to see God bless me. I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting that. If you think that you have to have a miserable existence to be a good Christian... Have at it. I'll have your blessings. That's okay. But the birthright comes with responsibilities. It comes with responsibilities. When you have the birthright, it has to change the way you live. It has to change your outlook on life. It may mean you have to go through some things that others may not be willing to go through because you have a promise that others don't have. When you read Hebrews chapter 12, it starts out by talking to us about, a, I think it's the great cloud of witnesses and about running the race with, with patience. And it, it talks about being willing to endure opposition. It even talks about being willing to take correction from the Lord as He is our Father. And that whole idea flows on to follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And then without skipping a beat, it goes on and talks to us about not becoming bitter. Because when we become bitter, the next verse tells us that we become like Esau. Read it when you get home. I never really connected those two thoughts, but they're there because in Hebrews chapter 12, it describes Esau as being a profane person. Somebody who was godless. Somebody who had no respect or value for spiritual or sacred things. But what's interesting is in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 4, and that slide should be there, Joshua is at the end of his time of leading Israel and he's sort of reviewing everything that's happened and he's speaking about how God said, I gave unto Isaac, Jacob and Esau and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. He said, I put Esau over here but Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. 
God told Abraham years before that's where his descendants were going to go. Esau never had to go through Egypt. God said, here's your place over here. Enjoy your life. But he took the promised people, the people that had the birthright, he took them through Egypt and brought them out the other side. You see, they went down into Egypt in a certain sense to be blessed, to be taken care of, but they were brought out of Egypt because they had a birthright. They couldn't just stay in a place where, I mean, I know the blessing changed in Egypt, but God used that to get them to think this is not where the promises want us to finish. God doesn't want us to stay here. There's somewhere he wants to take us. Amen. But Esau was a profane person, sold his birthright for a single meal. I don't believe that Esau was ignorant of the value of the birthright. Those 15 years of his life, he had heard granddad tell the story again and again and again. He'd heard Abraham, they'd be sitting around and Abraham would start telling the boys would probably just, you know, zone out, you know, as, as young people can sometimes. His granddad said, I remember when we had to rescue Uncle Lot and I remember how God appeared to me and said, walk before me and be perfect. I remember how the Lord came and stood and prophesied of how my wife would have a son. And he told those stories. He told them. God said to me that he would bless them that bless us. He would curse them that curse us, that through us all the nations and all the families of the earth would be blessed, that he would take us to a promised land. And they'd heard those things again and again and again. Esau was not ignorant of that, but he was only interested in being blessed. You don't read about him trying to get the birthright back. You don't say, oh, Dad, get me back to birth. Or he's like, Dad, is there a blessing? Do you want to bless me? And if you're born again of water and spirit this morning, you've entered into a birthright. You've entered into a bloodline, into an inheritance, and you've taken on a family name, the name of Jesus. The processes of your life may include some Egypt-like experiences. God may take you through some challenges that don't make sense, but don't become bitter. Don't become bitter because the birthright is more important to you than just being blessed. Amen. Revelation chapter 22. This is my last scripture for this morning. I'm about done. Revelation 22 and 1. This is right at the very end of the word of the Lord. Just about everything's done with. The judgments have taken place. The devil is in eternal torment. And in verse 1 of Revelation 22, it says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there a tree of life that bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And in verse 4, this is where I want to draw your attention. It says, And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. I don't know if that means that the name of Jesus is going to literally be on your forehead. I don't know if it's symbolic. What I do know is that it means there's going to be something about us that identifies him with his name. Whether it's actually across your forehead, literally, whether there's just something about the way the church and those that are saved appear, we are going to be directly connected to that name. Amen. 
Stand with me if you would this morning. We are blessed beyond measure. We are blessed beyond measure, but we are also the keepers of the birthright. Just as an Old Testament Jew went through a process where blood was shed, something was removed and a name was applied. We repent of our sins because of the blood of an old rugged cross. That old sinful life is taken away and the name of Jesus is applied. And we enter into a covenant relationship where he says if we will trust him and obey him and do what he says, there is a promised land that waits for us. Don't sell your birthright, church. Don't sell your birthright because you're going through a hard time. Don't sell your birthright because it seems like you're in Egypt and Esau's over there just enjoying himself on Mount Seir. God will bring you through. His promises are still true. He hasn't changed. Just like he brought, you know, Jacob went through some tough stuff. Jacob had, you know, a lot of the problems Jacob had were because of Jacob. A lot of the problems we have, don't be offended, because of ourselves, really. But if we will walk with God, if you'll be willing to have an interaction with God, he can change your identity like he did with Jacob. You're not a... Whatever your past was, Jacob's was deceit and lying and dishonesty and just being completely untrustworthy. Whatever your name used to be, now you're a prince that has power with God. Let's lift our hands and welcome.